So I know you guys are obviously at home. I just encourage you um, to get a Bible, right? Uh, This isn't a sick day from work or from school where you don't do anything, right? We want to plug into the Word of God, amen? Amen. And so I need the the little mini congregation here to give me some amens today, right? So, yeah, I just encourage you right now, open up the Word. Uh, We are going to continue, which seems to be like so long ago, uh, the notion of a series on rediscovering the Father. And uh, bear with us, right? We obviously have uh, technical uh, things that we're working on. Um, Some of these slides might appear to be a little washed out uh, because of the resolution, but maybe we'll post that later if you're really that intrigued with the uh, the slides. Uh, But get what you can with it. Um, could maybe, uh, Zeke, could you just shut down the soundboard or just mute everything because I'm getting a lot of static, uh, which is coming out of the speaker, which is right out my head, so. <clears throat> yeah, so we're going to open up to um, the prophet Isaiah. I also encourage you, whether you're on Facebook or on YouTube, uh, to be writing some comments in there, um, maybe comments uh, about what is being delivered or words of encouragement just to keep a community atmosphere um, But uh, yeah, let's get into it. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 to 13. Very appropriate for these uh, times. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. That, that includes viruses and sickness, right? They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contend with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing. <clears throat> Lord, we just come before you as we enter into your word. And we, Father, we pray that we can be an empowered generation. That right now, our young ones can be empowered. Right now, we ourselves can be empowered to be a voice and a witness and a trumpet of grace, love, and peace to the nation. At this time, but really at all times, for we are your sons and your daughters. Father, I pray an easiness and a peace, a supernatural peace to fall in people's homes right now as they're engaging with the word. That it would be as if they are at church, Lord God. That the kids would be settled. That... Things will be at peace so they can engage your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, yeah, I was a little uh, torn on what to teach on today in terms of everything that's going on in the world. I gotta be honest, I was just like, you know what? I'm just like so done hearing about viruses. I'm so done about hearing about restrictions by government that I was just like, I'm just going to preach something that has been on my heart that is a kind of outside of it. And I think there's a powerful thing <clears throat> with that. Is that when there's difficulties that are coming on us, we can focus on that difficulty or we can continue the gospel and continue our life as if it's not even really around. And I think we give things more power when we put so much attention on it. I'm not saying it's... Uh, it's, it's uh, I, what I am saying is it's wise to be informed, but to get uh, completely absorbed with things... Uh, really distracts and takes us away from life and what's going on. So this has some connection or a lot of connection to what's going on, but I'm not going to uh, be speaking directly about coronavirus because I'm sure plenty of churches are doing that 
And nothing against them. Maybe that's what the Lord is leading them in, but I'm just tired of it already. So I'm just going to continue with what the Word says about things. And so today is a uh, teaching on empowering a generation. Uh, And that's largely our young ones, but the reality here is also uh, for us. So I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the Lord is looking uh, for a generation today to be empowered. Empowered in all things, not to shrink back from difficulty, not to shrink back because of viruses, not to be shrinking back because of finances, even not to be shrinking back uh, with the mundanity of the day and work, but to actually not shrink back from the power of the gospel. And I think us living in the West, uh, 99.9% of the time, it's very easy to shrink back and not to be an empowered voice before the Lord. And so uh, I was thinking about this, and just uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Naomi, who hopefully is watching on uh, YouTube with mom and the girls, <clears throat> had her first jiu-jitsu tournament. And she's, at that point, she just turned seven. At that point, she's six years old. She just gets out there on the mat, and she's sparring or wrestling, if you will, uh, with a boy. Uh, and she, you could just see in her eyes, there was such uh, an empowerment that was going on. And, uh, and you know... There's something about uh, the art of, of jiu-jitsu, uh, which I really love, uh, and that is it's, it's an art that teaches you to defend yourself, which is cool, but what I saw in my little girl was not uh, someone who was just learning how to defend herself, but what I saw here was a little girl that was learning what it meant to be empowered, to be empowered and in fact to stand up against her own insecurities. And that's something that I've been learning through, through doing this with Naomi and myself and some of the other uh, people in the church who have, who have decided to just explore that. And it's not just like martial arts. You do that in like many things, right? You do that through many things. Uh, but the importance here is the notion of being empowered. And one of the greatest ways to be empowered is to be able to stand up to your own insecurity. The Lord wants to raise up and empower generation in the spirit. Now, I don't know if you can see this quote on, uh, on YouTube or the video, but I'll read it to you. It says this, <clears throat> to be empowered is to be secure in your identity. It is to be in a place of emotional health. Uh, to be empowered is to be a voice to a generation. Uh, it is to be a leader and not a follower. To be empowered is to slay giants. But it's where things get interesting. But the biggest giant is your own insecurity. Come on. You see, before you go out and slay giants in the world and slay giants in the spirit, you got to deal with the giant that's inside of you, that insecurity that is within you. And so one of my favorite, favorite authors uh, is a guy by the name of Joseph Campbell. Uh, and he says this, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek. It's one of my uh, favorite quotes, and it's this. Many of us are afraid to face the most logical and in-front giant of our lives. It's us. That's so good. Your own insecurity. It's true. And many of us are not willing to step into that place and look at that giant face to face. Now, why is that giant so difficult to face? Because it's a, it's a giant of insecurity. And it's you. Come on. It's your flesh. 
Now, it's easier to stare at other people and to stare at other people's problems and stare at other difficulties. But to have a moment where you come face to face, as James says, looking in the mirror at yourself and saying, all right, where do I have to improve? Which things am I weak at? Where are my insecurities lying? You need to face that. And that is a very, very tremendous giant. You get what I'm saying? That's good, yeah. So there's various types of empowerment. Those of the flesh, those of the world, <coughs> and those of the spirit. Maybe, can somebody get me a cough drop? It's in my uh, a bag. It's one of those uh, Ricola swish drops. They're pretty good. <clears throat> and so here it is, man. There's, there's different types of empowerment. And uh, the reality here is not enough people in the church, the bride of Messiah, are properly empowered in the spirit. And I I believe that. I've seen it through my 30 plus years of walking with the Lord. Uh, There are people who are not properly empowered. You just toss it, man. Relax today. Thanks. Um, They're not properly empowered. Uh, And the results are actually quite devastating. That's true. Either they're so not empowered... Uh, that they become weak, they're ruled by fear, or what's very devastating is they actually abuse the power that they have. And both types, either being tremendously weak and afraid and fearful, or using bad power and and really just controlling people uh, and manipulating people, is also very, very destructive. And so for many people, I, I think, for many people, um, they, have contr- they have confused control with empowerment. Yeah, that's good. Poor empowerment is a person who now tries to control everything. That's not godly empowerment. What does this look like? Um, it would look like this. So it would be a person that feels a need uh, to control their own surroundings. Um, they have a feeling and a need to control their own relationships. Uh, unfortunately, it's very common uh, for people that have been abused in their life, whether it was an emotional abuse, a physical abuse, or even substance abuse. What happens here is because of their feeling of lack of control, they feel that they now need to control things, and that's not empowerment. That's manipulation and coercion. It's not the spirit of the Lord, and it's definitely not godly empowerment. And so who knows if this is going to go up there. But what is empowerment? According to the dictionary, it's this. I'll just read for you guys. Um, it's to give someone the authority or power to do something. Good. It's to make someone stronger and more confident, especially in controlling their life and claiming their rights. Good. So empowerment is to understand what your rights are in the kingdom. Now, what we also have here is this. Take a look. The synonyms. Uh, to be empowered, it says, is to emancipate and unyoke. Wow. <laughs> See, when you are emancipated from your own insecurities, when you're emancipated from your own control and you give it to the Lord, you now are unyoked. And now you can place yourself underneath the yoke of the Lord, of Jesus. My yoke is easy, right? My burden is light. And it's there when you're free. It's in that place where you really are having freedom. Empowerment equals freedom, but empowerment is not control. Empowerment is the release of control and giving it to the Lord. 
That's good. And being okay with your identity and being secure in who you are. That's so good. Now, this whole notion of empowerment, this whole notion of control, uh, probably can almost be best seen in family dynamics or even in relationships between um, individuals. Um, many parents, this is going to hurt some of you. The next five minutes of the sermon is going to hurt, but that's why we're here. <laughs> Embrace the suffering, right? <clears throat> many parents, I find, and I can speak with some level of authority because I've been a public high school teacher for like 15 years now. So I get to see a lot. Many parents fail to empower their children. They fail to do it. Now why is the question. Because once you understand why, we can try to fix things. Why do many parents fail to empower their children? One reason is because the parent, they themselves were controlled. And now they want to go to the opposite extreme. They're like, I know what it feels like to be controlled by an older person or someone who has power over me, someone in authority over me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to respond to it and I'm not going to control at all. It's the, it's the pendulum swing. It just goes to the complete other side and what is created is pure madness. It's good. Uh, it creates pure madness in your home and the reality is it creates pure ma- madness for a generation. That's good. Because what happens here is if enough people do that, you're going to have an entire generation that has no real discipline in their life. What happens here is if there is no godly discipline and corralling and guidance, what happens here is the child fails to learn self-control. And if they fail to learn self-control, they do not have freedom. Now, why do they not have freedom? Because they are now simply controlled by their own emotions and they're controlled by their own thoughts. And really, they're controlled by the flesh. The other one, which actually may sting a little bit more uh, for many people uh, around here, because I've seen this the most in my career as a teacher, and that is the codependent parent. The parent that wants to feel loved, wants to feel value, wants to feel that they have a role. And what happens here is this. They control their child. They control the relationship to such an extent, not because they love the child, but because they love themselves. They want to feel needed. So because they want to feel needed so badly, they now have to be involved into every little tiny thing dealing with the child. Now guys, this is not just for parents to kids. This type of rhetoric happens between husbands and wives, wives and husbands, friends and friends, boyfriends and girlfriends, grandparents to grandchildren. There is a a scenario here is that if you feel insecure in your value and your worth, you need to make yourself feel that you have value and worth. So now you need a role. And your role must be to control and be involved. This is a very, very dangerous thing. Because it holds back the child from being empowered. It holds back the child from being an adult. It holds back the boy from becoming a man. It holds back a child, a female, from becoming a woman. And so there are these kind of stereotypical examples uh, that happen with this. 
Okay? The first one is, it could be both parents. It could be the father. When I say the father, it could be the mother. When I say the mother, it could be the father. But it seems to be, in my experience, that it's expressed more in one of the two. Right? Neither the male or the female. Is this kind of making sense? or totally. Yeah? All right. All right? Maybe we'll talk about corona later. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So how is this example of codependency and value systems manifested in usually a male, can also be a female, but a lot of times it's manifest in the, <clears throat> in the male, in the father. And it's this. It's the father who gives and places unnecessary pressure upon the child. I see this all the time in public school. It is manifested either through the pressure to perform very well in academics, or a lot of times from a father, it's the pressure to perform very well in athletics. It is the proverbial father that's at the Little League game that actually gets into an argument with the ref or the ump in baseball. It's like, your kid's seven. Like, there's no need to get into an argument about the ump. The reality here is this. The argument is not about the, your son. The argument is about you. Wow, that's good. You're living and trying to live vicariously through the son. You weren't as good at the sport as you wanted to be. So now you need to make your child so good at the sport so that you feel that you had a part to play. Look, I, I see this in, in the high school I teach it. Like, my son or daughter must go to this university. The really best. No, they don't. That's good. But they have to be in the very best classes. No, they don't. They only do if you are insecure. That's good. Come on. They only do if you have to be able to brag to your friends about what school or what your children are doing so that now, in fact... You feel good about being a parent and that you were needed and people are going to come to you and ask questions about how to raise this child. Come on, Dick. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. <clears throat> All right, so that's, that's the stereotypical father. What about the stereotypical mother? And like I said, it's not necessarily a mother, but it seems to be manifested in mothers or females. But it could be a male. And this is the parent... Or, dare I say, it doesn't have to be a parent. It could be a person in a relationship, a friendship, colleagues at work, uh, spouses, all of it, you name it, is this kind of mother figure. The mother figure that does not have this level of security inside of them and becomes codependent is the mother who continually meddles, continually meddles in the affairs of things. Now, there's a certain healthy level of being involvement with your children and involvement with your friends and, 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 and being organized and understanding what's going on. But this is a manifestation that goes a lot, a lot further than this. Uh, how this works is, this is a person uh, who has a desire to feel value and needed that they become obsessive about things. That's good. Maybe they become obsessive and they're always cleaning. Like, it's a clean counter, but yet they need to clean more. Like, the dishes are clean, but they're not clean enough. Um, there's always a, a, an action. There's always something that's being done, because nothing is quite good enough. That's good, Dave. Now, why is this? This is 
because the person, largely manifested as a, as a mother, if she does not have something to do, she feels subconsciously and in the spirit that she's no longer needed. She no longer has a role. Now, if you don't like this, particularly this last example, you have to understand this is not Dave. This is not Pastor Dave saying this. This right here comes from literally the mother of the feminist movement. Betty Friedan in 1962 wrote a book called The Feminine Mystique. I think it's chapter 10 or chapter 12. It's been a long time since I read it. Who says, as a female, someone who is the champion of female rights, says one of the things which are plaguing women is they do not have a role in a, in a system of security, so they meddle in the affairs of their children, and they meddle in the affairs of their spouses. Too much. Because they need a feeling of value. It's good. So this is not me saying this. This is like the mother of feminism. The woman who wants to champion for females to have economic, social, and political equality to men. This is not Dave being a man saying these things. This is just the reality of things. And like I said, it is largely manifested in the female, but it can also be manifested in the male. But males have a tendency to put the unnecessary pressure to the sports and the academics. Here's what's going on here. To con control through pressure or codependence is to feel needed, wanted, to have a role. And the reality here is in the spirit, the Lord wants you and your children to be properly and godly empowered. And once again, this is not just parent to child dynamics. This is between relationships. And so what does good godly empowerment actually look like? Because I'm telling you that the Lord wants a generation of empowered people in love, in security, in identity, especially right now. I agree. It's good. If there is ever a week in your life where the church needs to be empowered in love and in a godly security, it is this week. I agree. It's this week when you're all huddled together in your house and patience is getting short and the reality in the flesh is being pulled up, it is at this time that we need a church and a bride that is empowered. Amen. And so what does it look like? It looks like this. Good godly empowerment, in that place there's no coercion. There's no manipulation. It's good. It's good. Now this can be very subtle. If you're good at it, it's very subtle. If you're really, really good at it, you yourself don't even know you're doing it. It's this little coy way of using coercion and manipulation to get people to do what you want them to do for you. It's good. It's good. That's not empowerment. It's almost like a type of witchcraft, actually. Another type, another expression of the godly empowerment is this, is that your identity is found in your Father, your Heavenly Father, and what He says about you. So it does not matter what people are saying about me, within reason, right? It could be a, a clue that you need to tone down some things, but you're not seeking your identity and your value system through your husband, through your wife, through your kids, through your job. You're seeing your value as a son or daughter before God. That's good. I'm telling you, this is, this is, this is the place of a lot of family conflict.
is that people are unnecessarily looking to the other person in the family to give them value, to give them self-worth. If you do that, a family is going to be in a, in a tough place. A third thing here is this, that in your life there appears to be a true Holy Spirit order to your life. Bad empowerment is this. One, I would say that you are walking in bad empowerment if you see one of four of these characteristics. You got all four? You got to come out to a deliverance service and we got to pray for you. I'm sorry, I keep looking over here because the, the crowd's over, but I know the camera's over here, so. Oh, no. Maybe some of you guys can switch a chair. I'll help train me to look over here. All right, so here are some of the characteristics. Um, and I think this is going to sting. I know it, it, look, it stings me. Because I, I look at this stuff. I do a self-evaluation of myself. I'm like, oh, man. So one characteristic of the potential for bad empowerment is this. You are highly dependent on people in your relationship doing things for you. Time, actions. Uh, there's an over-expectation of other people solving your problems. Like if you're constantly feeling that you need to go to someone to solve your problem, you have an unhealthy relationship to them, and you have a bad empowerment. You're actually probably going to use manipulation, coercion to some extent, to get them to do what you want them to do. And to be empowered is to have some level of control over your own experience through the Lord. And so, yes, we lean on each other. Yes, we help each other. But when it comes to a place where it's coming to a place of burden, where you're constantly, your wheels are so in spin that you're constantly looking to other people to try to solve everything for you, especially those messes you spent a decade or two making, it's a bad empowerment place. Two, uh, you have a hard time maintaining and keeping relationships. It could very well be that uh, the, you're, you're not maintaining relationships because people are pushing up against the type of empowerment that you're displaying. Uh, in the rare case of deep relationships, you flee once they hold you accountable and speak into your life. Wow. Come on. I think it's a very, very powerful one. You're yearning for a relationship. You're learn, yearning for a relationship with people. But once you enter into a real relationship, not a relationship like what they're going to do for me and what can they do to help me and, and get what I want, but a true friend that's like, look, brother, look, sister, this is what's going on in your life. We need to change this. We need to work on this. We, we, we need to work on this together. You're like, forget this peace out. They're just judgmental. They just have this, that. You probably have bad impairment. Fourth one is this. <clears throat> if your life has a general chaotic nature to it, carelessly floating through life without any direction and or plan. It's one thing to be led by the Holy Spirit, right? But there's another thing where you have nowhere that you land. And why are you not landing? Why are you jumping from church to church? That's good, Dave. Some people jump from church to church because they literally have a call from the Lord to do that. I think that is a very, very specific, very, very specific and few and far between calling. But there are people that have that. But if you find yourself wavering from community to community and never landing somewhere, there's a good chance it's because you're looking uh, at, 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 at church and, and life together in this type of concept. Good, Dave. Come on. That's just the reality. So, godly empowerment. 
God wants you to be empowered. God wants you to be empowered as a people who have their identity dependent on God. The empowerment is not fabricated by your own insecurities. It's not what can you give me. It is from a deep well inside of your spirit and the acknowledgement that he identifies you as sons and daughters. It's good, Dave. This is not largely first seen the nation of Israel. Can you imagine if Israel did not have their identity right before entering the promised land? Can you even imagine all the mess that would happen. Now, there's plenty of mess that already did happen, but that happened multiple generations after. Can you imagine the type of mess that would happen if a chosen holy priesthood nation went into the promised land without having their identities right? This is why for 40 years in the wilderness, for 40 years, they're circling the wilderness. Good. Going around the same mountain over and over again. And Mario, why don't you get onto the, uh, the piano? Let's see how it's picking up on the microphone. If there's some problems, maybe you guys can comment like you can't hear me, and then we'll t- tone down the piano. But it, let's just get the uh, piano going here, a little, little spirit of worship as we go forward. See, what I'm trying to get at here is this, guys. God is going to use the wilderness experience of Israel to get their identity right before he gives them the land of promise. And there's an unfortunate system that takes place where the nation of Israel is circling the mountain of God over and over and over again. And I believe that in the church, many of us are circling around the same mountain day in and day out. That's good. The mountain of thinking that you're empowered, but you're really just controlling. Or thinking that you have no power so you are ruled by fear. God is saying, I'm taking you around the mountain again so that you learn that your security and your identity is not in what you are, but rather who I say you are. And I'm telling you that there are people in the church, even at Bristol, that we have a calling to, 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 to really, really step into a revival spirit, to really step into an anointing or calling to, to, to be a flagship to the region. Come on, but it's not going to happen. If we're circling around that same mountain again. It's good, Dave. Saying I'm going to control people and control feelings and not knowing who you are. And so before going to the promised land, 40 years in the wilderness. And then what happens? Not in the 40th year, not in the first year, but in the 38th year. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord spoke to me, Moses saying, you have skirted this mountain long enough. It's good. Come on. Turn northward 
And I'm telling you that the Spirit of the Lord is saying during this lockdown, during this quarantine, during this time, is that you have ample opportunity to walk into the cave that you fear to enter. And to say, Lord, here is my insecurity. I want to turn northward. I no longer want to go around the mountain of fear anymore. I no longer want to go around the mountain of insecurity anymore. I no longer want to go around the mountain that says what people say about me is what empowers me. But Lord, I want to be in a place of going northward that says I am allowed to take the land of promise because I am who you say I am. It is time to turn northward in your emotional healing and in your relationships. And it was, Deuteronomy chapter 2, and it was the 38th year. Not the 40th year, the 38th year. You see, there's two more years before the children of Israel can enter into the promised land. And what's funny here is everyone, everyone, everyone talks about the wilderness period. And everyone talks about the Israelites going into the land of promise and slaying giants. But no one talks about what the heck was going on between year 38 and year 40. Because it's hidden. It's hidden in a book called Deuteronomy. That many people don't want to read because, you know, it's just all laws and laws and laws. No, man. We got to get back into the word of God again. We need to understand the nuances of things. I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday. We were going on a hike and we were talking about some of the problems of, of, of the world and some of the problems of Christianity. And, and one of the problems of Christianity here is that people just know God by feeling. Knowing God by feelings is great, but God wants, to, wants you to know Him by your mind as well. And largely as a church and largely as a bride, we just do what God makes us feel. And there's a place for that. I'm not knocking that. But there's also a place to say, Lord, I'm submitting my mind to you. I want to engage into your word and learn about you. So this two-year period that like no one talks about. What's going on? Well, it begins with go northward. Go northward. And when they go northward, what happens? God says in Deuteronomy, I'm going to take you to the plains of Moab. I encourage you to, to read the story. I encourage you to read Deuteronomy 2 through 6 to gain an understanding of, of what's going on. I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time. God says to the children of Israel, I am taking you northward. Go to the plains of Moab. You are to walk through their territory, but you are not to plunder them. You are not to take what they have. You're not going to take their inheritance. You're not going to take their namesake. You're not going to take their calling because they are the descendants of Lot. They're mine too. And so what is this? The key to passing into the promised land is to acknowledge the rights and callings of your brethren. The 
The key to passing into a, a true godly empowerment is understanding the callings and rights of your children and the calling and rights of your spouse, that they're made as an individual before God. And yes, we can give guidance to people, but we do not control them. And it takes two years for Israel to say, all right, I'm not going to plunder what my brethren have. I'm not going to take what they have. And in the story, in the scriptures, it says, and then, when a generation of warriors in Israel die, now you're allowed to pass through. You see, some of us in the church have a spirit of warfare, and it's not a good warfare. It's a warfare against your brother. And the Lord says unto Israel, I'm not going to allow you to pass into the plains of Moab until a people of war die off, and then I'll allow you to enter in. We as a body in Bristol, we as a body, as a church across planet Earth, will not be able to enter into the places of the promises of God. And so people learn, you can't have warfare with your brethren. You can't have warfare with your spouse, man. You can't have warfare with your kids. You can't control them. Yes, for children, we guide them. And yes, we got to give them some discipline. But you cannot get your value through them. You cannot plunder your brother. You cannot strike the rock twice. In two years, Israel needs to learn. We are not in control. That's the word. Come on. We are not in control. Amen? Amen. And so closing up, it's amazing. Before Israel turns northward, Signify in the beginning of entering into the place of promise. There are 38 years. And there are 26 chapters of Deuteronomy. From year zero to year 38. And then there's two years. And there's only a couple chapters. And it's a learning of what it means to surrender to control. It's a, it's, a, it's a place of understanding that Lot has an inheritance and his descendants have an inheritance. And other churches and other brethren, they have a calling. And I'm not going to plunder that. I'm not going to destroy that. I'm going to appreciate that. But you see, a nation cannot do that. Then have 26 chapters first. And so... What happens in the 26 chapters that allows Israel an understanding that they are not to plunder their brothers? That they have an identity and they have a calling. This is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. God speaking. When your son asks you in the time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? So this is, hey, 
in the future when your kids are like, hey, mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, why are we supposed to do all of these 613 commandments? Why are we supposed to be doing all these things? All these crazy, weird things? Why, why, why? God instructs Moses, tell the people, then you shall say to them, you shall say to your son and daughter, it is because we were slaves in Pharaoh. Sorry, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And because the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all the household. And then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all of these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You see, for 26 chapters, over and over and over again, this question is raised. Why do we do what we do? And God's response is, you do what you do because I have delivered you from the place of bondage. And it's that over and over and over again for 38 years, for 26 chapters, that Israel gets inside of their mind, my identity is, I once was lost, but now I am found. I once was in chains, but now I am free. I used to be a slave unto Pharaoh, but now I am a son and daughter of God who calls me out of bondage and into a place of identity and into a place of value, and into a place of worth. And when you get that, why do I do what I do, Lord? Because I came to the earth as a man, and I took upon the sin, your sin, and I laid it down on a cross. That's why. That's why you pick up your cross daily. That's why you, you say you submit to others. That's why you don't always have to be right. That's why you don't control others. Because your value is not in how they see you. And your value is not what they say about you. Your value is found in a mountain. On a cross. Once you get that, like ancient Israel, you can walk through the plains of Moab and see your brethren, and not take, and not plunder, not try to coerce and manipulate, but you can walk through the plains with a smile upon your lips, and say, oh, how good and pleasant it is that God has sons of many nations. And I can rejoice that the Moabites have an inheritance, and the descendants of Lot can have an inheritance, and then that the sons of Ishmael can have an inheritance. Now, once Israel is able to slay the giant of their own insecurity of their identity, it's at that time and it's in that place that now they can cross over the River Jordan. It's now that they can slay the external giants. There's so many people in the church that come to me and say, how come Dave, my prayers have no authority? 
Dave, how can my words have no authority? I'm telling you right now, you can have no authority except for that which you've already dealt with. When you deal with your identity, when you deal with your own insecurity of yourself, when you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, Holy Spirit, show me the presumptuous sins, the sins that I don't even know about. Let them surface up so I can nail them to the cross. Once you deal with that giant in your life, the giant of your own value, the giant of your own identity, you now have the authority to cross the River Jordan. You now have the authority to go into the land of promise and kill those giants outside of yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and really closing up, chapter, or rather, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus the Messiah and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so... During this time of corona, during this time of quarantine, you can view it as a struggle or as an opportunity. You are forced, essentially by the state, to spend all day and all night with the closest people of relationship with you. I encourage you right now, or really as you process this message, for you to face the insecurity of your own value system. For you to enter into the cave where the treasure lies of being set free, facing your insecurity. And that you go to your wife, you go to your husband, you even dare I say go to your kids and ask for forgiveness. I've made you and I've made this relationship the architect of my value. You go up to your kid and they may not even be able to process it. It's okay. You, you go up to your kid and they'll just be like, be shaking their head. You say, I've made you an idol. You go to your friend. You, you go to your husband. You say, Look, I've made you an idol. I've made my value of who I am as an individual dependent upon how much you need me. And dare I say, that's just simply satanic. You've made an idol. You are to have no idols of the Lord thy God or anything that is made on the earth or below the earth. So Father, we come before you and we ask that we do not squander this unprecedented opportunity. An opportunity that we, we have to slow down life. We have to not go to work. We have to not go to school. It's a holy moment in a way. It's a sacred or separated time. And Lord, that we use this time 
to face our own demons, to face our own giants or insecurities. And we come before you and say, Lord, I can't hide behind my paycheck right now. Lord, I can't hide behind going to the gym. Lord, I can't hide behind going to work. I can't hide about the kids going to the the grocery stores or or the schools. I, I can't hide behind buying things at malls and shopping malls because I'm forced to stay on my own property. And Lord, that we would use this as a bride, as a church that says, if I'm forced to stay in my residence, oh God, Lord, I just want to face those things. Those things which are closest to me. I want to get that right. I want to get the family right. I want to get the relationship with the spouse right. I want to tear down all those insecurities that are inside of me so that I can be empowered and I can model to the next generation what it means to be an empowered son and daughter of God. Why? So when this quarantine is lifted, we come out of our houses pure, holy, healthy, and on fire for the revival that's coming after this is lifted. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In a moment, we're going to move the camera over to Mario and we're going to close out with a song. But before we do that, I just want to encourage you to get plugged in on our social media networking, particularly Facebook. Encourage one another FaceTime one another. Be a part of the, the Zoom calls that they're unleashed either for the women's group or the men's group or for the children themselves. Be involved. Also encourage you to make that phone call to a friend or to a, a relative that you haven't seen in a while. I encourage you to just uplift one another during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week, and please pay attention on Facebook to see um, how we're going to handle next week. We obviously are taking this one day at a time, but all I know is between now and then, I want to be godly empowered. I hope you do the same. Have a wonderful week.